Our gospel reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. Hear the word of God. But about that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, only God. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore. For you do not know on what day the Lord is coming, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. passage is, as my 71-year-old dad would say, scary. So I called one of those billboard people, like the Christian billboards where it says, where do you go when you die? Call 183-TRUTH. And sometimes I call those people, and I talk to a real person. It's not an animated or, excuse me, automated system of you will go to, will press one to find out. Um, there are real people on the other end of the phone, and sometimes when I'm driving, I call them. And so I called 183 Truth, and I got Pastor Kurt. And Pastor Kurt and I as per usual, got into a long theological spat about agreeing to disagree, but I called him because I was so confused about how to preach this passage. (laughs) Pastor Kurt, I said, it feels like this passage is like rapture, left behind series, living in fear that you don't know if you're gonna be taken up to heaven or left behind to eat radioactive Twinkies with the guy in the field and the woman grinding meal. Margie, he said to me. Yes, Pastor Kurt, (laughs) I said. (laughs) Things are getting worse, so we know the end is near. Things are getting worse, so we know the end is near, and then we exchanged a few more minutes of theological debate before praying together, which 
is really cool practice of praying with someone that you disagree with. Amen? And Pastor Kurt and I disagree on a lot of things, but we both seem to agree that living in the between times, as Karl Barth says, is stretchy and scary. And I heard one woman say, the meantime, the in the meantime, it's a mean time. Because we can look back at what has been, but we have no idea what is coming, and we stand anxious and uncertain, living in the present, which is itchy and squirmy and makes me feel a lot of times downright defeated. And about that day when Jesus returns to redeem all of creation and maybe gives us a big bear hug and maybe says, you did the best you could. And I was serious about loving you with all your bumpy parts. At least that's how I think it'll happen. We don't know when that's coming. The people in the days of Noah, they didn't know when that was coming. The angels in heaven... They don't know when that's coming. Scripture says not even the Son, the Son of God, doesn't even know when that's coming. Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back? That's like my niece Lula asking me what she's getting for Christmas, and I'm like, I don't even know. I haven't even thought about that. I haven't thought about you. Um, it's terrifying. And Scripture tells us to keep awake and be ready which gives me even more anxiety that I need to live in a state of hypervigilance, like chug coffee and give everything I have away to the poor and manically try to be this perfectly faithful Christian. But church, let me give you some good news today. And it's news that I certainly want to hear. We are not expected to know everything, but we are expected to do something. We are not expected to know everything, but we are expected to do something. Maxine Cuman calls this the act of bearing witness, this kind of watchful living in which we practice what we hope for, as if what we hope for might be possible. We flex our muscles of imagination, as Tolu Quinn writes, and we have to keep flexing the bearing of witness as if it matters. Tolu goes on to write, the reason that I know it matters is because of the witness of so many people that have mattered to me. The neighbor who picks up the trash in our park, the school bus driver who slips extra food to kids on his route, the donor who sends in her $5.15 donation each month, the dad who's coaching soccer to my uninterested nine-year-old and a gaggle of her friends. Showing up like this, practicing hope like this, it's not easy. But breaking hope down into small acts or small daily practices, that makes staying faithful easier. 
the daunting thing becomes a little more possible when approached little by little. Hope has to be not only imagined, it's got to be practiced. And so we have to do the work of imagining what could be possible and then do our little part to make it real. And did you notice where these people were in the text? They weren't doing grandiose things. They were working in the field and grinding meal. They were eating and drinking together. They were getting married. Nothing crazy, just these ordinary places where the human endeavor of life is lived. And as Mark Yers writes, biblical faith knows that it doesn't know everything, but it does know that it's called to do something in the here and now. And so maybe these people got it wrong in that way, that in the mundane, ordinary acts of their life, they weren't faithfully, watchfully living. That the people eating and drinking didn't bless the food and think about the hands that made it, but sloppily, selfishly consumed it. The people getting married flippantly said their vows, never returning to what those vows meant. The people in the field maybe got discouraged, got distressed, forgot to look at over months how plants want to grow, push through to do that. The women grinding meal maybe felt unseen, unappreciated, were pouring their apathy into that bread. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and so the Allens lit the hope candle. This is a season of waiting for something new and world-altering and unexpected to be born. Hope which you may or may not have these days. Hope, which is this oversaturated word that's so hard to embody. Hope, why even try to have it when we turn to page six day after day and we sigh? One of my favorite authors though says, pessimism is this belief that it's gonna get bad, it's gonna stay bad. And so there's no point in getting involved. And optimism, it's this belief that everything will be okay. And so there's no need to get involved. She says, but hope is the belief that we really don't know. And so in this spaciousness of uncertainty, there is room to act. It's the belief that what we do matters even though we don't know how or when it may matter, who or what it may impact, sometimes those are not things we can know beforehand. Think about all the people in history who stood up for justice, who had no idea the impact it would make on us sitting here today. The women who were killed and berated and chastised, who weren't allowed to preach in the pulpit, who had no idea that one day their struggle, their practicing of hope would lead to women like me being able to preach good news. So we keep awake for Jesus to come and we keep awake for the needs of others. 
believing that one day he might appear in the clouds giving us this bear hug, or he might come suddenly like a thief in the night. But maybe before that, as Matthew always hints, he might just appear around the corner in our neighbor who is homeless, in our friend who is ill-clothed, someone sick, someone in prison. And so we got to be ready, as Matthew says. We have to practice hope. Practicing hope like the monks who pause every hour on the hour in their daily grind of work to pray for you and me. Practicing hope like John Thorpe who brings donuts to the church staff every Friday. Nobody wants to work on a Friday. John Thorpe every Friday goes to Donut Den, drives back, brings donut holes, blueberry, cinnamon, powdered, glazed. And it gives pastors that extra bread of Christ to keep going, to feel sustained in our work. I'm serious. Practicing hope like my dad, who every Sunday growing up during offering would take out his wallet and hand me one dollar, showing me that the little things, the faithful ways that we practice hope build strength in times when we don't feel it, build faithfulness. Or when he would leave notes, my brothers here, Patrick, in our lunch boxes every day saying something, and he didn't write legibly, and so my friends and I would spend the whole lunch trying to figure out what he said, <laughs> but it was the thought <laughs> that counted, practicing hope like Wednesdays at noon in Seattle when women in black dress up, stand in front of City Hall, and hold the names of people who have died from living outside that month. Every Wednesday at noon, practicing hope like George Crawford, who sits at the front desk every Monday, and every Monday he comes out when the kids are leaving school and high-fives all of them. Practicing hope like my seminary professor, who prays the Psalms every day with women living incarcerated because she promised them she would. She would pray alongside them, even if she wasn't inside with them, practicing hope. I am heartbroken by what I cannot do and who I cannot save. And I shudder when I think about the uncertainty of being alive. It is hard. And a lot of times it feels impossible to work for justice and love and shalom, peace, peace for all people. But if this text teaches me anything, it's to feel galvanized, not paralyzed, by the daily mundane tasks that I can do to bear witness today to a day that has not yet come. A day as Mary wonders when the world turns, a day when we are redeemed and forgiven and loved so fully we can't even imagine it.
A day when something unexpected and small, as small as a baby, is born. A day where our mustard seed practices are rewarded, are given thanks. And Jesus said, thank you, thank you for all the little by little, for all the ways that you practiced hope. Thanks be to God.